Yes, well, again, thank you so much for joining us. Um, For our Good Friday service today, we're going to be adding some theatrical elements. And so uh, if you're a kid in here or you're even faint of heart, just so you know, there may be some noises, all right? And those are part of it, all right? Uh, But again, as as I read that verse when we first started, I've been thinking of that verse over the past few days as we've been preparing for this message. And again, it says this, Peter who was one of Jesus' closest friends, he was one of his disciples, Peter who also denied Jesus three times because he cared more about his own comfort and self-preservation, but later on was reinstated by Jesus and eventually became one of the fathers of the church. He writes these words. He says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. And so those four words, once for all time, that's what we're going to focus on today. And that's a big statement because it means never again, game over, done. And I want to put that phrase, once for all time, in context. Why is it once for all time? Well, if we look in the Old Testament, which is really about two-thirds of our Bible, we see that, that there was sacrifices over and over and over again, right? There were always sacrifices that were made to atone or pay for the sins of God's people. And in the Old Testament, every book, every story, every sacrifice pointed to something greater. They pointed to the great sacrifice of Jesus who would give his life on our behalf. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to the cross where Jesus said, it is finished, it is finished. And Peter, who would eventually write, once for all time, game over, done, finished, the end, that's it. No more, sacrifice, no more sacrifices. Now, you would think that a historical, a, such a significantly historical event, like the cross of Christ, would, would be accompanied by something to make it big, right? Fireworks, those confetti cannons, uh, maybe the planes that have the tail behind them that say, like, once for all time, something like that. Something, something that would show how important this event was to proclaim, look at what's happening here on this hill called Golgotha, Calvary. Well, there were no fireworks, there were no confetti cannons, there were no airplanes, But there were some things that happened that signified how big of a deal this was. And they're recorded by the the disciple Matthew. Now, Matthew records four physical, eye-opening, jaw-dropping events that magnified what was happening on the cross. The first thing that happened was there was darkness. Matthew 27, 45 through 46 says this, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? So Jesus was crucified around 9 a.m., and then at noon, darkness fell. This unexplainable twilight came across the land. And now, Darkness, it can be a good thing if you're trying to sleep or you're trying to see the stars at night, but usually darkness is uncomfortable. 
it's something we try to avoid. You go into a dark room, you hit a light switch, or you say, Alexa, turn, turn on the lights, we're home. A child, you know, kids aren't afraid of the light, they're afraid of the dark. Maybe you're an adult and you're like, I'm afraid of the dark, that's okay. If you say something like, hey, you left me in the dark, what's that mean? It means, hey, you left me confused about this situation. In, in cartoons, if somebody gets a brilliant idea, what pops up over their head? A light bulb, not a black hole. And so throughout the Bible, darkness was a metaphor for separation from God, where God did not exist. And the Bible is emphatically clear that you and me, us, we are all born into spiritual darkness. We are all separated from God because of our sin. And in those three hours of darkness over Calvary, Jesus revealed the deep love and grace of God by substituting himself for you and for me, by taking the dark, of the dark sin of this world, your sin, my sin, onto himself. He experienced this spiritual darkness, separation from God the Father, so that you and I wouldn't have to. Which is why he quoted from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is so interesting because his whole life, Jesus had referred to God as Father. But now this point where the Father had turned his back on him, he no longer sees his Father, he sees my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? And not asking a question, but stating the reality. And at the end of that darkness, the Gospel of John tells us that Jesus cried out, It is finished. Perhaps the, most, the three most important words ever said. It is finished. Meaning, mission accomplished. It's done. It's over. Your sin has been paid for. And then in his very last words, the Gospel of Luke says to God, into your hands I commit my spirit. And at that moment, at 3 p.m., Jesus died and something extremely significant happened. Because there was this, there was this curtain in the temple. The temple is where people went to worship God. And Matthew says this. He says, at that point he released his spirit and at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So, so there was this temple, and in this temple was a curtain. And this was a huge curtain. I'm going to tell you about it in a minute. But before we get to that, I want you to know that in the Jewish calendar, there were two special occasions that existed for the forgiveness of sin. There was the Day of Atonement, and, and it happened in the Jewish temple, again, where there was this massive curtain, which was about 60 feet tall and about four inches thick. And behind the curtain was the Holy of Holies. This is where God resided on earth. And the curtain existed to separate a perfect and holy God from people, us, who had rebelled, rebelled against him through sin. And once per year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest who was serving at that time would enter into the presence of God to atone for the sins of the people by sprinkling an animal's blood on the mercy seat. And this was such a big deal that the, that the priest had to go through days and days of cleansing and rituals in order to enter the presence of God. And this was so dangerous, the tradition says that he would have a rope tied around him so in case the presence of God killed him, the other priest could pull him back out. And then there was a second special day for the atonement of sins, which was Passover. 
You see, year after year after year on the day of Passover, remembering how God had rescued the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt, worshipers would shed the blood of an unblemished lamb, a perfect lamb, one without defect, and by faith be forgiven. But then they had to do it the next year, and then the next year, and then the next year, over and over and over. That this lamb's life, that this lamb's blood was in place of their own. But then one day, during Jesus' life, during his ministry, John the Baptist sees Jesus and John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it was on that day of Passover when Jesus died on the cross. And when he shed his blood, it is finished once for all time, meaning never again, that the animal sacrifices had stopped, that the lamb of God, this perfect, sinless, unblemished lamb of God had, came, had come to give the final sacrifice once and for all. And at 3 p.m., Jesus took his last breath, and at that very moment, the four-inch thick curtain representing our sin and separation from God split from the top to the bottom. And through the death of Jesus, God removed the curtain. God made a way for us back to him through Jesus. And by faith, we applied the blood of Jesus that was in our place. We apply that to our lives, and our sin is atoned for. It is paid for. We are forgiven. The curtain is open. Everyone and anyone is invited into a relationship with God through faith in Christ alone. Light has overcome the darkness. And as the curtain was torn, something else happened. The earth started to shake. Matthew continues on in 2715 or 51. He says, The earth shook and rocks split apart. Then when Jesus died, something was shaken. Now, I've never been in an actual earthquake. Maybe you have. Maybe you've lived in a part of the world where earthquakes happen and you can, you've experienced that. Or maybe even in our corner of northern Ohio, there's been an explosion or you've felt some rumbling or something like that. But, but the earth shaking has a way of getting your attention. Whatever you're doing, when the earth starts shaking, you stop doing that. And on the day of the cross... This earthquake may not have been high on the Richter scale, but it was still enough to grab the attention of everyone who was there. God has a lot of ways of getting our attention. Sometimes it's good. A sunrise, a sunset, a beautiful mountain, mountain view, the birth of a baby. Sometimes it's bad. Maybe it's a bad diagnosis, the death of a friend, the death of a loved one. All these things are allowed by God to bring our focus and attention back to him. We were not at Calvary. We didn't feel the earth move. But in a few moments, we will do something that is a physical reminder of that. We will take communion together as a family. Physical elements designed to get our attention, to bring our focus back to God, back to Jesus and what he did on the cross. Bring us once again to Jesus, our Savior. Because in our darkness, we had no way to make it back to God. So God made his way to us through the person of Jesus. And he took the penalty of our sins on himself once and for all. That is an earth-shaking, attention-grabbing reality.
And if darkness, if darkness, a torn curtain from top to bottom, the earth shaking were not enough to proclaim the cross, there was one more thing. Matthew writes, and tombs were opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. Now, unfortunately, we were not able to find any resurrected bodies for this part of the sermon. And the holograph technology, hologram technology isn't quite there yet. We don't have a lot of details about how this happened or what exactly happened, but we have a sense of why it happened. Perhaps you've heard the famous sermon given by Pastor S.M. Lockridge that's, that focuses on this. It's called Fridays, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. In his sermon, he points to the realities of that Friday. Jesus stumbling to the cross, soldiers nailing him to the cross, Jesus forsaken, alone, dying, the world appearing to have won, the enemy, Satan, seeming like he had finally gotten victory, and all of the time this has happened, evil is just smiling. But Pastor Lockridge keeps coming back rhythmically to this saying, Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, but soon it's going to be okay. You know, here in our lives, we, we have our own Fridays, right, that are all too real. We know the Friday feel of pain, of hardship, of loneliness, of suffering, of defeat, of death. We all know too well how difficult it can be, the lure of the world, and how hard it is to keep our focus on Jesus. But Pastor Lockwood would say, take heart, keep faith, because it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. So at 3 p.m., the curtain opened, the earth shook, and the tombs were open, and the bodies of many godly men and women rose from the dead. Why did that happen? To show us that even though it's Friday, Sunday is coming. To give us hope. To show that death and sin had finally lost their grip. To show us that the complete forgiveness through Christ was available and that it was possible for anyone and everyone, all because of the cross where Jesus died once, for all time. And in just a moment, we're going to get to partake in a physical reminder of that. We're going to take communion, the Lord's Supper, together as a family. And as the worship team continues to lead us through the last couple songs, three things that are going to remind us of God's great love and his great grace expressed to us through the cross. The lyrics in the song, let them move you to thanksgiving, and to worship. And second, as you come forward, you can see that we have a cross on the stage, and you will be physically moving towards that cross. Let your movement toward the cross symbolize your continual, our continual need for the cross of Jesus. And then three, there's the bread and the cup. You know, Jesus gave us a very practical way to remember what he did for us on the cross once for all time, which is good because if you're like me, I can be very forgetful. You get caught up in this life and the good things and the bad things of this life, and sometimes I forget the reality that I am saved, that Jesus gave his life for me. He gave his life for you. And so on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. There's not a person in this room tonight who is not eligible for the forgiveness of sin that God gave to us through Jesus. Regardless of the shame or guilt you might feel, regardless of what you've done, what you're doing, where you've been or where you are, there is forgiveness available. One of my favorite stories in scripture is the story, the account, the historical account of the thieves who were crucified with Jesus. I I told this story, I shared this story at my own dad's funeral who gave his life to Jesus just days before he passed away. You see, when Jesus was crucified, the gospels tell us that there were thieves on either side of him. Some, Some accounts say criminals, some say thieves, but here's the problem with the word thieves, that you don't get capital punishment for stealing camels. These guys were rotten. These guys were were thieves and they were probably murderers. These were two guys who if you looked at them, you would have said, if anybody is not going to heaven, it's those two. And in fact, one of the guys backs it up. He's, He's hurling insults at Jesus even while he's nailed to a cross. But the other one, the other one realizes that Jesus was innocent, that he was God's son. And in a moment, he placed his faith in Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I assure you, you'll be in paradise with me today. Assurance. And I was listening to this pastor, this Scottish pastor named Alistair Begg, and he was telling the story, and he said, do you realize how awkward that would have been for the angels in heaven when that guy showed up? You know, they'd have been like, hey, what are you doing here? You're in heaven. Okay, well, well, I'll tell you what. Let's check the books. All right, when were you baptized? Oh, you weren't baptized. Okay. Did you follow the Jewish law pretty well? Oh, you, oh, you were a criminal and a thief and a murderer. Were you a good person? No, you weren't a good person. Well, what are you doing here? And the, and the thief says, the guy in the middle cross said I could come. Here's a guy nailed to the cross, can't do any of the things that think earns us God's favor. Can't go to church, can't get baptized, can't go on a mission trip, can't give any money. First Christian in heaven that day because of the guy on the middle cross, because of Jesus. Jesus, no matter who you are, Jesus can forgive you. All that he asks is that you come to him in faith. And so we're gonna come forward in a minute. We're gonna take communion. And as you return to your seats with the elements, just... You can take the bread and the cup whenever you're ready. And, and upon, upon completion of the worship songs, um, you're welcome to leave or you're welcome to sit, to linger, to reflect, to pray. And so here at the chapel, communion is for anyone, anyone who would consider themselves a follower of Jesus. And so tonight, communion is for you if you would consider yourself a Christian, if you believe in Jesus if you're a Christ follower, if you know him, it's for you. And maybe you're here tonight and you can't say that. Maybe you don't know him. Maybe you've never believed. And maybe you're confronted with this reality for the first time tonight. My prayer is that you would not leave this room tonight without having a conversation with me or Pastor Charles or somebody on the worship team 
I had a young man this morning or this afternoon who came up after the service and his mom said, hey, he wants to be saved and he gave his life to Jesus. And so we're going to come. Yeah, you can clap for that. And so we're going to come forward. And if you are a follower of Jesus, we're going to come forward from the front of the room to the back of the room. We're going to come down this aisle and this aisle over here. And we ask that you return to your seats through the middle and through the outer edges. And again, take the communion as you will at your own leisure. Um, and after the songs are over, you're free to leave or you're free to stay and have a conversation. Um, we also have gluten-free communion as well. So let's come forward now, starting from the front of the room towards the back of the room.